Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining Belkin's Growth Podcast, Season 3, Under the Spotlight. Today, I have with us the CEO and president of Mona Payment Solutions. Mona was founded in 2016, and they are a trusted consultant for businesses that are looking for a merchant services solution provider. And they've consistently focused on small businesses, helping them maintain cash flow and allowing them to focus their efforts on growing their business. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome CEO and president of Mona Payment Solutions, Christina Alvarez-Barrett. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. So I want to jump in first and just talk about the business as a whole. So if you would, in layman's terms, first, just explain to me as if I didn't have any idea, even though I do, what Mona Payment Solutions does, you know, what it is that you, where it is you guys fit into the market. Okay, perfect. Yes. So we are a consulting agency. We focus on sales and service for the electronic payments. We provide the services for anybody in the United States and Canada. So if you're looking for credit card processing, you want to take payments from your customers because you're selling a product, a service, whatever that might be, you need the services. And that's kind of where we come in. There's different areas where you can find this service. So you can either go through your bank, go through direct through the processors hard, but it's mostly through the bank, through an ISO channel or an agent channel. So those are those the most the three channels that most merchants are able to provide looking for the service. Primarily, our our clients are small to medium-sized businesses. We're not after the Walmarts or the Home Depots or anything like that. It's more of a smaller to medium-sized business. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Got it. And then what exactly, where exactly do you those folks. So I can, if I have a small business, I can leverage my banking institution. So do you work with the bank that I'm using or exactly where would I, what would cause me to, to need a service like what you guys provide? Okay. For if you're a new business, most likely as a new business, you're going to go to your bank, open up your business checking account. And then most likely your bank says, we'll go ahead and set you up with our services. If you're an establishment, and that would be for a very small mom and pop, which it's a good fit for the bank. And it's a good fit for the, for, for the merchant as well. For us, we're primarily focusing on businesses that are already current, have the service, more of an educated buyer. And the knows about merchant services, they're looking for better service. Rates, yes, is a great indicator of a, a reason why merchants switch over. But it's service, support, customer service. Our business model is mostly B2B. We work with financial institutions and we have partners, a couple of credit unions. We're always looking to partner with the financials, the banks, the local banks where we work at to try to get their business. Got it. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So when it came, when it comes to the idea for getting into the space and creating Mona Payment Solutions, what was it that kind of got you to the spot where you were thinking, this is something that people need. This is an area that I think that we would be able to really service the market and bring a lot of value to these small businesses. What did that process look like pre-conception or pre-business business conception to after you launched the business? Okay. so. Um... Mona got started in 2016. I've been in the industry for 32 years. I started technically as a temp. 
I was pregnant with my son. I was looking for a job up in Northern California, and I got hired by a company named Talachek, and my son had just been born. And then they got acquired by FFMC, which also did merchant services, and it kind of just evolved. And I was with First Data for 16 years, and there was a transition in my life. Something happened, and I left First Data, and I went to go work for somebody else an ISO, an independent sales organization, and worked that for them for three years. And then I realized that was just not a really good fit for me. And then I had a friend of mine said, well, why don't you come and work for me? And I said, but I don't want to be a W-2. I just want to be kind of independent. So that's kind of how it started. And then how I grew my business is because we partnered with a local bank here in Southern California, uh, myself, and then the company that I was representing. And they they really loved us. They trust us. And we ended up getting all of their business. So in a matter of three years, our business grew substantially. And we worked very, very hard. I had a very smaller team that I have now. And we were able to just really provide great service. Education is what we like to also provide to our clients, to our partners. Um, And it was a really good relationship. And then I think about three or four years, oh, no, wait, five years ago, they got bought out from another big institution. So that relationship disappeared, but we still manage those, a lot of those merchants and we still work with that financial institution more on a need to need basis. So yeah, that's how we got started. It was all by accident. And then one day I decided I was like, I need to have an office and I need to do this. And then I hired my girlfriend and she said, well, then you got to go do this and you have to do this and you got to get payroll and you got to set up the office. And it just kind of just grew and it's grown ever since. And I'm loving every minute of it. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So it sounds like it happened more organically as you started to kind of go down this path. You started to recognize that there was an opportunity here, maybe even a need for somebody who would diligently manage those relationships. And then the rest is history. Right. It was all organic. I didn't plan out to be in the merchant services industry. And like I tell everybody that works for us is most people don't go to college and say, "Mm, I think I want to be a merchant service provider. It's not one of those kind of jobs or industries that people go and seek after. It's something that you kind of fall into for the most part. And once you're in the industry, it's really hard to get out of the industry because it's it's exciting. It's every day is a learning day, Brian. Technology is constantly changed. And think about it. I mean, Venmo or those electronic, that wasn't that even available four years ago. I mean, how our technology is growing and how fast it's growing and payments. Google Wallet and Apple Pay has been around for, for four or five years, maybe a little bit longer. And it didn't become popular into COVID. That's when everybody said, no, I don't want to touch anybody's money. Let's do COVID. And it's just, it's a great industry to be in. Very, I, I love it. That's incredible. I was going to ask you about that. So you mentioned that nobody goes to college and thinks like, I'm going to be a merchant services solution provider. So what has been the driving factor that has kept you passionate about being in this space? You know what? I understand like you kind of fell into it, but really what's driven you to dive in as deep as you have? Because I know that you're super active with uh, small business organizations. I know that you attend a lot of conferences to continue for furthering the footprint of your business and also connecting with those small businesses to provide them with education. So what's been the driving force just specifically behind you to really want to dig your heels in? Right. So with merchant services and open up an an agency, you can start selling. If you have the drive and you have the motivation and you know the business and the industry, you can pretty much sell it to anybody and start your organization. For me, I What drives me is being able to help my clients, the transparency that our company 
provides to our clients. We're very much like the, and this is not against auto mechanics or anybody like that, but we're kind of like the auto mechanics where you lift up the hood and you say, you need to get all this done and it's going to be this much. With merchant services is basically the same thing. A lot of merchants just don't know, like, what are my fees? What am I paying? What does this all mean? And why is it so expensive, so to speak? Because that's the biggest pain point. And for us, we want to educate and we want to show them and show them exactly what it is that they're doing, how they can do it better with increasing revenue, reducing cost, also providing the service that we're here to help and we want to educate them. And it's just, and everybody in our team is, we are very well connected and we communicate very well. So all of our clients are really happy with us because we're just, we care. We really, really care. We don't put anybody on a contract. If they want to cancel for whatever reason, we understand if we haven't done our jobs, but we have the lowest attrition rate than any of our competitors. We are really focused. This is how I used, I usually say, Brian, it takes, it can take up to three years to close a client. It can take two seconds to lose it. When you lose that mm. trust, you lose that connection that they, they don't, you're not taking care of them. There's really nobody really loyal in this industry. So we really work really hard to stay on top of it. And we love it. And we love our clients and we have great clients and it's just, I love it. It's great. And again, technology, the industry is always changing. We're always learning. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Yeah, no, I was I was curious about that because in your space, especially related to payment services, I could imagine that a lot of the relationships are transactional, or I would think that a lot of relationships are transactional where what can you save me and can you save me more money than the current provider that I'm using. And that kind of puts you guys at a disadvantage, would it not? Because on paper, they're looking at how much can you save me? And if so, then we'll go forward with you. If not, sorry. Right. And we were just having this conversation with my sales team about, you know, sometimes we have to come with that first pain point. I know it's expensive. Let's see what we can do and help you save you. But then we bring into the table the other pain points, the customer support, the transparency of really what we can do. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to start with a rate and then work our way backwards. But then once they meet with us, once they've been with our in our services, they can see that we do care and we're here to help them. And it's more and then it becomes less about rate and more about everything else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very transactional. Yeah, Mm-hmm. Yeah. When So when you got started, it sounds like there was just a really clear path for you in terms of why this is the space that you should go into as far as the, the existing banking relationship that you had and kind of taking over the existing clients. But I also know that just from working with you and knowing you, that you guys have been in kind of growth mode where you, you've been expanding your business relationships and growing the business. At what point did you realize that you wanted to start expanding outside of that initial book of business that you took on where you wanted to start growing your clientele base? So I think... That happened when I started hiring a couple more people in my office to help me for the system. I was doing all the sales and then I was hiring support for customer support. And um, when they started working with me, they said, well, what's my other, where, where can I go from here? Is this my limit? Then I realized that I needed to develop and I realized I actually love being a mentor to my employees. So now what I'm doing is I want to hire more people, develop them, and then getting into the sales position. So now I'm taking two of the of our customer supports, 
we've been, they've been, one's been with me four years, one with me for almost three years, and I'm developing to be salespeople. So now they're working with me with you as well, with the Belkins leads that we get from you guys and with the clients and making them feel, asking the right questions, doing the discovery calls, going through the whole sales process. And I realized that that in order for them to have a future, I need to make sure that I'm growing as well. I can be very happy just doing what I'm doing and just doing support and whatever, but that's not very fulfilling for me. And I realized that I want to give back. Not only do I want to give back to my employees, but I want to give back to my community. That's why I am involved with a lot of the organizations, business organizations, and also within the community for volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mona's been established for about six to seven years. And so I'm curious, as you've kind of gone through these different stages or these different cycles around initially conceiving the business and then taking on a book of business and then getting into growth mode, I'm curious what challenges you've encountered. What kind of things have you ran into that have been, oh, this has to get solved in order for us to be successful? One of the things, Brian, I didn't never, I didn't go to college. I think I did a couple of years of community college. So I really don't have that business background. And I, I love COVID. It was really great for us because we were able, I was able to hire people nationwide. Everybody from the office, there was three of us, both of them disappeared. Now there's six of us and I have people in New Jersey. I have people in Baton Rouge and I have people in Texas and here local in LA, but just how to run a business. That was really challenging for me. And, and as I grew, I did not know We were finding ourselves that everybody might be doing the same thing or not doing enough of this and just restructuring. So, you know, our accountability chart. So I had to make an accountability chart of who's doing what and who's responsible for what. That way we're not all doing the same thing. So that was really challenging in itself. Just keeping up with everything that has to do with the business. That was very challenging because I I just started from nowhere. It's been a great learning experience for me, but not only for me, but my team as well, because we all have a role, but we all might have an extra little role that we do to provide, give back to the company or just doing some type of administration or whatever that might be. So that was the most challenging. Now what I find myself today in the next last few months and so forth. It's just really finding the quality people that that can come in and work and are willing to learn and really do the job. You know what I'm saying? Everybody says that they want to work, but really getting down on your knees and just doing what it needs to do to make it happen. So that's a little challenging, but I think when you're when you give back to the individual, you show them respect, you let them know that this is going to be a great learning experience and I'm here to help you and take you to the next level of whatever you want in your career. People are there, but just finding that one individual, that's not easy, especially in today's market of finding employee, good employees, salespeople. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard the phrase, I love COVID. <laughs> I think that might be the headline for this discussion might be Christina Alvarez Barrett loves COVID. Listen to this podcast to find out why. Right. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was great for us. I mean, um, the first couple of weeks were a little scary because I went through the 2008. um, That was really that. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be 2008 again. And actually, you know, the first two weeks was scary. And then after that, All of our clients are calling us up because a lot of them needed to get set up virtually with a virtual terminal or whatever. And they all just, and a lot of also our portfolios mostly B2B and they were all essential workers. We had very few in the retail and restaurant space. So most of them were essential. So they all needed the service. They all needed, kept on processing. And then, yeah, I kind of got steady a little bit, but we were always somewhat busy 
And then, but it would give us an opportunity to slow down from the growth, to really focus on the business versus it being in the business. And so it was great for us. It was great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So you talked about finding really quality people and how important that is. I, I've heard, so the feedback that I've gotten when COVID happened was that there were, a, there was a lot of opportunity for people that might not, and might not have work to be able to supplement their income through some of the relief programs that COVID created from a government perspective. And so it made finding talent a real challenge because a lot of people were picking and choosing the opportunity or they would, they had a really nice situation where they didn't necessarily have to go right back to work because of these programs that were supplementing their income. And so what kind of strategies have you used to make sure that you're aligning with the best folks and that you're only bringing on the right people? We pay above minimum wage. So we start everybody above, way above minimum wage. I think that one of the things they see here at Mona Solutions when they start working is family comes first. So if anything happens and if you have a child or whatever, or they're sick and you need to drop everything you're doing and go pick them up or whatever, we're okay with that. And everybody's working from home. So I think everybody's really happy about that because we have one of our employees just had a baby and she had just started and nine months later, she has a baby, which is perfectly fine. And we see the baby grow now in our Zoom calls and our powwow meetings. And that's important. So I think, I, I think, being respectful to your employees, having a really good culture, that's something else that we developed while we were in COVID that, oh, we need to make sure we have a good culture where it's healthy and we all sit down together and we don't lie. We don't tell a customer something that's not true. If we accidentally didn't know and something happened, we just let them know, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize that. We always stick with our word and then just happy. We don't gossip against each other. I mean, just a lot of stuff that we brought to the table that makes everybody want to come to work. And then also being valued by the pay. I think that's really important. I think a lot of, and especially, like I said, I have somebody in Mississippi. I have somebody in Baton Rouge. I have somebody in Texas. We live in California, which the pay scale is a little bit higher because the cost of living in extending that same pay to somebody in Mississippi makes a huge difference in their quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, so you're based in Thousand Oaks, correct? Correct. Thousand Oaks, California. And, you, and you service clients in Canada and the U.S.? Correct. Uh-huh. So we can provide the services to anybody in the United States and Canada. We have clients in Canada. We're actually talking to an, another of our cli- future clients. I think they're going to move forward in December and they have seven, six or seven branches. So that's going to be really good. And so we're East Coast, West Coast, Central Coast. We, our days start really early in the morning and then they end a little bit later. So we have that spread, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And having different, having folks on the team that are in different spots can definitely serve as a value there. I'm curious to understand, just shifting gears a little bit around your strategy of client acquisition, just knowing that you're servicing two large geographies. How do you see the disparity or the difference around acquiring clients in Canada versus acquiring clients in America? What what kind of feedback can you provide to us about that? Yes. So I think and Canadians are more cautious, I would say. Great people, very a lot more cautious than the United States. So in order for us to start the process of doing a presentation, a proposal or anything, we need merchant statements from their current processor. They just don't want to let those go. And we can't move forward until they provide us the data. And so they're more cautious. Also, it's just 
based on the industry. I think in the U.S., people are a little more educated, I think, in the sense of level two, different ways of process. I'm not saying the Canadians aren't educated, but with United States, they know they're going to need the statement. So they just go ahead and give them right away. In Canada, um, there's not as many ISOs as there is in the United States, independent sales organizations. So most of the the business in Canada go directly with the banks. They're dealing directly with the banks. So having an agency like Mona Solutions is sometimes kind of like, "Mm, they're not too sure. We have a software partner that this Canadian company is going to come through us because we've integrated our merchant services with their software. So yeah, and I think it just depends on the industry and depends if you're talking to the owner or the CFO. If you're talking to just a mom and pop of the different things of how the sales process goes. Our, again, our business model, what we like is dealing more with CFOs, controllers, more of a B2B medium-sized businesses where they're, they understand what we're looking for, what we can do. We understand that the biggest pain point for most of them is the rate. So we have to sometimes start with that, but then work ourselves back to the, our benefits and what we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Got it. When it comes to the merchant statements, that definitely makes sense to me. In your process, do you guys have a part of your process where you leverage mutual non-disclosure agreements to make them feel more comfortable with sharing that type of intimate data around their business? If they request it, we will. We have our own base. For the most part, not really, unless it's a huge, large corporation, but it's very it's a, it's a trust industry. They know we need the merchant statements. If they want us to send to sign one, we definitely will. That's not a problem. We've had maybe one or two clients request that, but for the most part, no. And it's just data. I think the one of the reasons a lot of them don't want to provide the merchant statements is that they're going to say, well, you're going to look at my rate and you're just going to not give me your best deal. You know, I want you to give me your best deal first and then I'll show you what I've got. So they don't want to put all their cards on the table. So they're more cautious. That's why I say Canadians are a little more cautious. We have to let them know, look, we're not here. We can give you a rate right now. But for the most part, just based on your interest and so forth, we definitely need to look at the, we need to see what the processing volume is, what the refunds, the credits, if they have any chargebacks, what the average ticket is. There's a lot more on the statements that they realize uh, why we need them. And that's just not necessarily for the rate. So usually when we get statements from Canada, they've blocked everything out. They pretty much redacted everything on the statement, except the volume. And so it is so funny. It's just like, I don't think we've gotten ever a full statement from Canadians. So they're just more cautious. And I get it. I get it. They're all about the dollars and cents, which is completely understandable. So yes, this is fun. Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. But also, I think that I'm kind of on your team in the sense that if we are going to partner together, then there's there needs to be some type of a transparency between us so we understand exactly how we can best serve you. And the way to do that is to share, is to share that information. Right. And then when we do our presentations, once we do the discovery call, now we're on the presentation, we talk about our transparency. We talk about our processes, the whole cycle, how it works, what we're looking for, what we're going to do after the merchant signs up. Because a lot of our competitors, Brian, what they do is they put them on a contract and they say, okay, thanks. I got you. And then that's it. And then somebody else will take care of you and then we'll never reach out to you. And that's not really our process our sales or service process. So we really walk them through the whole, the whole cycle of what's going to happen. 
Got it. That makes sense. That definitely establishes more trust from from their mm-hmm. from their side of things. What other what other ways and avenues do you guys leverage to stay ahead of the competition? Because I know that your space is heavily saturated with other folks that claim to do the same thing. So one of the things that we do, and we definitely talk to our clients about this through our process, is that so once so we get the statement. That's a big that's a big key for us putting the figures together, making sure we're going to need it for underwriting as well. And then what we do is three months after they've been processing with us, uh, we'll reach out back to our clients. For that statement you gave us, we did this analysis, and this is how much we said we were going to save you and so forth. Again, because that's one of the big pain points, and we identify all the pain points, but that's the pain points that, well, guess what? Now we have our own statements. So now we're comparing from what we promised you to what you're currently doing today with us. And guess what? This is how much we're able to do for you. This is what we saved you. Here's a whole breakdown. Here's your new statement. There's your old statement. Here's the analysis that we did three months ago. Here's our new analysis of what were you doing today. So we show them in black and white what the difference is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is a year later, we do the same thing, but then we um, actively reach out to our clients and say, we want to set up an account review because things have changed in a year. Technologies change. Your business has probably changed. So we want to see what we can do and where you're at today. And then we disclose, look, you've been with us for a year. There's been no changes on your rates. You've been us for three and we do this every year. And then this is one of the things that separates us. We're constantly reaching out. We're more proactive. We rather call them than them call us because in merchant services, when you get a call, it's usually not a good call. No news is good news on merchant services, but we go the extra way. We call them to just, hey, how's it going? Keeping connected. Sure. No, I love that. That makes sense to me. In terms of what's next, I know you guys have been established for some time. You've obviously been established in this business and in the space for a long time, but what do you have in mind for the goals for the future in terms of whether it's next five years, are things just going really, really well? So kind of continuing down that path, do you have any thoughts or ideas around you know, what you'd like to see in the future in terms of your business and how you're growing it? So I, right now, we're growing slow and steady. Just we're slow and steady going up the growth ladder. I think what I want to do is develop the employees that we have right now into a position that they would want to eventually be doing. And that's going to be like a sales position. And then provide that eternal revenue for them, revenue commission to them, because it's all based on residuals. And that's really something that builds trust, not only with our clients, but again, with our employees. Hey, I'm willing to do this as long as you're here and then help you grow because we want, we all want to, at the end, make money. We all want to buy that nice car. We all want to provide for our families, school, whatever that might be. I'm planning, hopefully, in the next five years, having about 10 more employees. So that would make it about 16 of us have offices, again, nationwide. I don't need to, not everybody needs to be in California. And then really honing different industries and then partnering up, hopefully, by then in five years with two or three financial institutions throughout our area. So it would be great to have somebody a financial institution that's providing leads for a Mississippi location for a Los Angeles location, for a New Jersey location, Connecticut, what, wherever those areas are. And those relationships are really hard to come by. So it's just planning to see today to hopefully get that relationship in three or four years. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. So really you're 
go to market is kind of dual purpose or dual avenues where you go direct to businesses and you can work with them on a one-to-one basis, but also there's a lot of opportunity for you if you can establish a relationship at a financial institution level where they already have a certain book of business that you could potentially be leveraged for. And so it's kind of almost having that perfect balance around which relationships you're focused on growing at which point in time and in which areas. Right, exactly. So if we focus 100% of our time on going after the partnerships of financial institutions, we're not going to have any sales. So we develop salespeople that can focus on going after new business and then myself going after those partnerships. That's ideal. Mm-hmm. Got it. And the partnerships, I'm guessing, that's a, like you said, it's, they're hard, it's a tougher nut to crack, for instance. So you engage and it might take it might be a much longer sales cycle to establish that relationship and actually formalize it where as during that time spent, you could have landed several other clients on the direct B2B side. Exactly. So financial institutions, software companies are great partners for us. We can do the integration, but integration takes a lot of time as well. So yes, yes, absolutely. The easiest part for us is keeping the client. The hardest part is getting them. If we have no problem keeping our clients because we're trained, we're customer support, we're right there to make sure they're happy. The hardest part for us is just getting them to sign on with us because it's competitive. Everybody, they have 20 other people knocking at their door and they're going to eventually do business who they want to do business with. Everybody's got the rate, everybody's got this, but who they feel comfortable, who they trust. That's why we always put our cards up front. We're trustworthy, letting them know. And we know we're not a good fit for everybody and not everybody's a good fit for us. There's been times that are some of our clients that are just like, oh, if that's what you choose, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? You know? So yes, the sales cycle on ours. Yes. Once we have them, we're great because we know we'll keep them for a long, long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that that makes sense to me as well. No, I appreciate that. All right. So last real question that I have for you, if given all of this info that you've learned up until this point, because you touched on this a little earlier around the experience that you've had has really trumped the need to have education. If you could go back and tell yourself something or give yourself some tips at the beginning of the conception of Mona Business Solutions. So at the beginning of or Mona Payment Solutions. So when you first decided to launch as a company, what uh-huh. would that advice be? Ooh, uh, I'm glad I followed my gut instinct in a lot of things. But I think taking those courses, taking that education, I just finished the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. And that was very educational. That was a six month course. I would have loved to done that way at the beginning because I learned Mm -hmm. so much. I learned a lot. And I just, Brian, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. So if I go back, I would say, yes, I wish I would have done that or I would have done that. I think just knowing it, but luckily I have good gut instincts and everything went smoothly and, and just, I guess knowing that it's going to be okay. I think my biggest fear, it was everybody's going to cancel. It's like, they're all going to, I'm going to wake up one morning and everybody's going to cancel. And that's not the case. It just doesn't happen. I, that was my biggest fear. So I think just education and seeing what's out there and learning and being more open. But you know, I was so busy. I, I was busy. I was on like survival mode, as I call it. You know, boom, I got it done. Yeah. No problem. And then COVID hit. It was great. And then it gave me an opportunity to really just let me learn. What do I need to do? How can I make it better and, and grow? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. So to summarize, it sounds like don't be afraid to take risks. Uh Always have the attitude of a student and never stop learning and know that in most cases, things are going to work out okay. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, Brian. That was perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> I appreciate it. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. And if you've been listening, thank you so much for being a part of the Belkin Season 3 podcast under the spotlight. Our time is the one thing that we cannot give back. And I really appreciate you spending yours here with me today, right? Well, thanks, Brian. Bye. Have a great day.